0: Struggling to stay up to date with social media? Do you want to get ahead online? You're in the right place. Welcome to the Public Sector Marketing Show, the podcast for public sector professionals who want to elevate their digital communications. Here's your host, Joanne Sweeney. Hello
1: and welcome to episode 85 of the Public Sector Marketing Show. A survey carried out in Ireland for the Medical Council on Trust explored how other sections of society are trusted by the public. And it got me thinking, does public trust matter? I mean, I wrote a whole book on how trust and transparency are the number one currency in the digital age for government and public sector. So you'd imagine that from my perspective, the answer to that question is yes. But is it more complex than that? Stay tuned to this episode, and I explore it. Music Research shows that trust among public sector pros in Ireland sits at 74%. A national representative survey carried out by b for the Medical Council found that 91% of the public trust teachers, so they top the trust leaderboard. Respondents were asked if they trusted our politicians to tell the truth and unfortunately only 36% of the public said that they did. When it came to doctors, doctors are highly trusted at 89% but that has fallen from 93% from 2020. When asked about journalists and the media, Trust in those agencies of society fell from 50% to 43%. That's not good news for democracy. But as far as our police force is concerned, trust among Gardaí rose from 69% to 76% in 2023. Just over half of adults polled say they trusted business leaders to tell the truth. Not sure what that says about me, but anyway. And then let's move on to public sector pros. Trust among public sector pros stands at 74%. That is not bad. Uh, and when it comes to trade unions, they have a trust rating of 67%. So, I firmly believe that trust matters when it com- comes to government and public sector because if you're trying to introduce new legislation, convince the public of new policy, if they don't trust you, they're not going to believe you.
0: Public sector pros, do you want to progress in your career? Are you going for promotion? Do you want to stay ahead of the digital media landscape? We can help you. View our training calendar at publicsectormarketingpros.com.
1: what is the recipe for trust success among government and public sector well I've got some ideas for you of course you would imagine that I would um, first of all and it brings me back to Obama when he arrived in the White House in 2011 and he had a charter of openness And transparency and he said that we must deliver public services the way that the public expect them and in the same vein we must communicate publicly openly and transparently so I wonder if many government organizations have that charter in place it is almost assumed because you exist in the public interest but especially when it comes to communications it should be one of your guiding principles in your communication strategy Uh, I often talk about the study undertaken where public sector are seen to be a little bit backward when it comes to communicating because of their monopolistic mindset, uh, a phrase coined by the consultancy group McKinsey. So the lesson here is that you need to be where your audience is. You cannot dictate uh, that you can provide a public service and communicate about it where you want to be. Thirdly, I would say that humanity in delivering great public services is so important, and that thread must continue into your communications. Uh, we know that with the evolution of digital comms and social media now being mainstream, it's really difficult to offset uh, your sense of humanity when you're being trolled or there's a pylon. but certainly most of the people most of the time are just looking from for a timely response from you uh, and what about a digital customer service charter um, is that something that you have in your organization do you have a digital first mindset are your social networks a place where people can send dms and expect responses is it a case that it's not resourced if not why not and then finally i would say active social listening on social media, leaning into those comments, leading into the criticism, and getting a better understanding of what the public think about the policies that you're implementing on behalf of government, the campaigns that you're running, uh, trying to raise awareness of many issues, but actively listening to what the public say will make your communications better, and consistently delivering open and transparent communications is really the core message in my book Public Sector Marketing Pro so yes you can win public trust but for me it hinges on great communications in today's show I'm delighted to be joined by Neil Ward who is head of transparency and assistant secretary at the Department of Justice in the government of Ireland and commenting on the BNA survey, Neil said on LinkedIn, "I've been involved in many conversations over recent years where civil and public servants have worried that negative media coverage from time to time equates to distrust by the public." This data, referring to the survey, is pretty consistent between polling companies and over time and it is worth internalizing for all of those committed to public service in ireland so i decided to invite neil onto the show to explore uh, that whole topic of trust in government and public sector a little bit more neil thank you so much for joining me on the public sector marketing show
2: hi joanne great to be here
1: well listen first of all i have to say i love your job title and uh, not that i dislike assistant secretary because i know that that's very important and prestigious job but head of transparency in ireland's department of justice for me is a real statement of intent so just first of all talk to us a little about that
2: yeah well i suppose it is designed to be that um it's probably not not controversial at this stage for me to say we we've gone through some some bumpy enough times over the last decade and in response to that, we did a big transformation program in the department in back in 2019, so four years ago now. So historically, we were structured the same way as all government departments and, and structured around topics, basically. So if you were in charge of immigration, for example, you were in charge of processing people's applications for immigration permissions, you were in charge of writing policy about immigration, the legislation about immigration, and dealing with all of the press queries and the communication stuff around that. So we've completely changed that. So we now have a functional model, which is unique in the Irish civil service. And what it basically means is we're specialists now. So we have policy teams that do all of the policy, no matter what the topic is. Legislation teams that do all of the laws, no matter what the topic is. Service delivery teams that do our direct customer facing services. Uh, And then we have the transparency function. So we are in in many ways a, a giant content factory. Um, but I hope we, we bring a bit more value than that. But we do all of the communications. So we we respond to queries from the public. We write the responses for parliamentary questions. We write the briefs and and, and speeches for ministers. We do all of the public awareness and advertising work. We deal with all the media liaison, social media, all, all of the communication stuff, I, I guess, wrapped together with the intent of us being as transparent about our work as we possibly
1: can be. Well, this might sound a bit kind of uh, self-congratulatory, but like a content machine is just what I talk about in you know public sector marketing and trust and transparency being number one currency in the digital age is that it's just talking to the public and being where they are and giving them content that they need in any given moment. Now I've noticed this and you know that I watch on the outside just that's part of my own research is to see good practice and i've watched that transformation on the outside and as i said we haven't spoken before but i've watched the work and i reached out and um, how long did it take to go from the old methodology into the new format that you have now
2: so we we did the transformation program in in a short period of time we, we were we were told we had nine months to do it and nine months and no more than nine months so, so we spent a lot of time designing it, trying to trying to put the right people into the right roles on paper. And then in August 2019, we stood it up overnight. Now, I'm not going to lie. The first, I'd say, nine to 12 months of that was rocky enough. So we were, we were producing an awful lot of content, but we didn't necessarily yet know an awful lot about what we were writing about. So we were, I guess, winging it a little bit. Um, but definitely over the last couple of years, I think we're, we're starting to reap the fruits of it. So one of the big advantages of us being the writers of everything is we can really start to work on the consistency and the quality. Uh, and, and like we, we do a lot of work around plain language and how we can incorporate plain language into things. And the advantage of having it all in the transparency function is when we incorporate our thinking about plain language, that then appears in everything that we do. So it's not just that we're talking in plain language about one aspect of our work, it's filtering through everything. So um, I would
1: argue. I'm always
2: hesitant to congratulate ourselves, but it feels like we're in a, we're in a decent place at the moment.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think you should. That's important. And transformation takes courage, and it takes people being willing to get it wrong before they get it right. So while you said maybe you were winging it, I would say you were testing and learning. Nothing is perfect. No roadmap, no matter how much you plan. Theoretically, it's when you put it into action that you you realise what's um, what can work. So. Have you seen the public respond to you and this new approach to communications and transparency since 2019?
2: Well, I think one of the things that's happened is we're much better at measuring things. Um, So we can certainly see, uh, we obviously, one of the big advantages of social media is it's, it's really easy to pull metrics from. And we can certainly see those metrics have gone through the roof since the transparency function was created. And I've got a really great creative team working on the digital stuff. And and I think that's really translating. Uh, More broadly, I guess, we do a public attitude survey every year. Uh, So we've just done the second year of that, and that's due to be published in the next few weeks. And we're definitely seeing, it's a bit early to be talking about a trend, given that we've only done it twice, but we appear to be seeing growing public understanding of the work of the department and actually all of the agencies across the criminal justice sector and growing confidence in that work so they're they're really key metrics for us and it comes back i guess to things like the to be that that question of trust in public institutions is so critical and it's so important that we manage to not only maintain but actually build on that trust over time
1: yeah let's talk about public trust how important is it to you and your team? Because let's face it, and I'm working on the outside with this sector, is that, you know, it, you guys are easy to to criticise. It's easy to hammer you when things don't go right, right. You've got this balance to strike between policy and politics, which isn't easy. Um, but how important is the the impression and the perception of the public to to what you do?
2: So like it's it's hugely important, that, like the work of this department is incredibly broad. We cover everything from policing and prisons to probation and courts, immigration and insolvency. Like we, we have a, a really wide span of control and that impacts on people's lives in really profound and direct ways. So it's it's work that has real meaning, but meaning not just for us, but for the people that we serve. So it's it's really important to me that we're trusted in doing that work. It's also really encouraging to me that actually, if you look at this time and time again, all of the surveys that are done around confidence in the professions in Ireland consistently find that civil servants are incredibly highly trusted by the Irish public. So we've talk, you've mentioned the BNA one, Ipsos do their Veracity Index every year. They've been doing it in Ireland maybe twenty years now. Certainly for the last decade. The results are remarkably consistent between 70 and 80 percent of the public express their trust in civil servants every single year. So I think that's incredibly important and we have to maintain that. I also think it's incredibly important that we remind ourselves of that because it's, it, it's really interesting that there's a gap between what the public think of us and what we think the public thinks of us. So if you look at the last civil service employee engagement survey, only 44 percent of civil servants believe that their work is respected by the public so on the one hand you have the public telling us that 70 to 80 percent of them trust us and on the other hand we o- we only think 44 percent of the public think much of us so i think it's really important as part of my role that i also try and close that gap so that we as civil servants can be more confident about the work that we do and the impact it has
1: that's the word and that's what i see time and time again confidence or the lack of you know, the competencies can be there. The experience, uh, you know, there's a, in my book, do not uh, displace a civil servant that has two decades of experience working within government uh, to swap somebody out who's younger, who might be more agile with digital platforms. That intuitiveness and that experience you can't buy. But often I find your colleagues right across civil service and, and any government or public sector agency, they really lack the confidence to, to stand up and to, to be more creative and bold with their communications because they're afraid to get it wrong. They're afraid of the public backlash. You know, What advice can you give them having been through this process?
2: So I, I wouldn't do that all of my colleagues. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff happening around government communications. days. But I I think one of the biggest shifts is historically, when we talked about government communicating, what we meant was supporting our ministers to communicate. And that's actually more in the political communication space than the public communication space. And so one of the arguments I try and make is that there is an appropriate role for an impartial civil service to communicate objective facts about the work that the civil service does, which is a distinct space from the political discourse where it's not appropriate for us to be and is the space that should be occupied by by ministers and other politicians. So I think I I try and draw that distinction so that people understand there's a space you can be comfortable in and there's a space you don't need to go into. And and as long as you stick in your lane as it were, I think we we should be confident about the work that we do. We do incredible work across the public service and we have so many positive stories to tell. And, And I think we're not only permitted to tell those stories we have an obligation to tell those stories
1: and let's talk about authority content and, and you do a good job on that and i see um other leaders within the service doing it and i think it's appreciated and that's kind of stepping out and being proud of the campaigns you're working on promoting them you know on your own linkedin profile talking about what's happening um and informing another whole group of people so how can you again advise from you being in your own shoes, how people can leverage their own positions, stay in their own lane, um, and also be ambassadors for the work that they do?
2: So the, the, to start with the basics, maybe, I think it's important for civil servants in particular to remember that we've got a code of conduct we've got to abide by. We We are required to be impartial. And that means we're, we do not have political opinions and we should not express political opinions. And that's that's really important just to keep reminding ourselves that that is a basic requirement of us in everything that we do, including posting on social media. So once you've got that in the back of your head, that keeps you safe. Then you can start thinking about, okay, if I'm gonna use my social media platforms to talk about the work that I do, what are the messages that I want to communicate? And for me, you've, you've mentioned, we run some, some pretty big public awareness campaigns I think there are pretty serious topics that mean a lot to people and I want people to know about them and therefore I think there's a bit of a responsibility on me to use every channel available to be, including my own channels, to try and get the messages out about those campaigns.
1: Um, so what's anything new for 2024? You know you're going to be on, in your fifth year of transformation, how are you going to push the boundaries or push yourselves further? with your content machine and your commitment to transparency?
2: Well, if I can talk about a couple of the campaigns, actually, and, and you don't even have to wait till 2024. I've got one coming up in the, in, in the next week or so. So we do, we've do. we started doing a lot more work over the last couple of years around domestic sexual and gender-based violence. Uh, it's, a, it's a big focus for the minister, but also, also for the department. We did some nice campaigns, I think, over the last two years around intimate image abuse, which is the sharing of or even the threatening to share intimate images without somebody's consent, so we did some research at the start of last year, and we realised that the public did not realise that it's now it, it is now a crime to do those things. And so the first campaign sought to educate people that sharing intimate images without consent is a crime. We did some research then late last year and discovered that that a campaign had amazing impact. The understanding that sharing images without consent had gone through the roof. So this year, we had a second go at that. And, and this, this year, we focused on the fact that threatening to share those images is a crime. That campaign's just finished now. That was called "Serious Consequences. It was it was a pretty punchy ad. I, I liked it a lot. And we're doing the research now to find out if that one has worked as well as last year's did. And then I've got two more campaigns to come between now and the end of the year. So one is on consent, and that's going to start next week. And that's in a slightly different space. So that's in a space where we're trying to encourage people to talk about consent within their own relationships. And the research that underpins that one is super interesting because it actually found there's loads of consent campaigns and educational awareness initiatives targeted at teenagers and students. There's an awful lot aimed at that cohort. But actually, when when you pick into society's attitudes towards consent, Consent isn't really well understood by a lot of middle-aged people. It's not very well understood by a lot of married people. So actually, we're we're trying to trigger some some conversations in couples and and, and in communities and in society about what what consent means and how it can be a positive force in relationships. And then the last one we'll do, and we we do this the last couple of years, uh, the week after Christmas or so, We'll do a big campaign, signposting people to the supports that are available to victims of domestic violence because and, and this is really sad. But unfortunately, we see a huge uptick in domestic violence over the Christmas period. I guess when people are in, in their homes, locked together, alcohol gets taken, so on and so forth. So we do a big push in the week after Christmas to make sure that anyone that finds themselves in that situation knows that there are supports available to them. So that's this year. I got a plans for next year. Um, And actually, one of the things I'd really like to do next year is there's huge work done around the criminal justice sector, around how we build safer communities, stronger communities, uh, and how we, and we do a lot of this already, how we divert people, and particularly young people, away from falling into lives of crime. So I'd like to do a lot more work around that community safety and crime prevention piece next year.
1: It's really refreshing to have this conversation and know, better understand how the research informs the campaigns and assumptions that we make as members of the public. And, you know, we all have skin in the game for the work that you do. Um, And it just lands a little bit differently. And, you know, huge respect to our politicians. And, you know, but it just sounds different and it feels different when it's, you know, coming from a politician or a policymaker. And I think that the public hearing these messages and they are the same, Let's face it, but hearing them from different experts um in that whole arena adds value. I want to talk a little bit about about TikTok, right? And currently, TikTok in many jurisdictions uh, across the world is banned on government devices uh, for uh, security concerns, and that is the case in Ireland. But I've seen your ads on TikTok, so you can advertise on TikTok without having. Um and account amencies are doing it. Do you have any insights into how they they are landing currently?
2: yeah, so 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 one of the things we've gotten way better better at in the last couple of years is evaluation of our campaigns, and evaluation of of the effectiveness of the campaigns. So we used to use pretty crude metrics around how many people have we reached. Now we're much more targeted about the audiences. We're looking for the behavior change. We want to result from those. And we're we're pretty robust around the measurement of those. And so with the intimate image abuse piece in particular, when we did the research, we discovered it wasn't particularly a problem with younger people. So teenagers and young adults were disproportionately more likely to say that they had either received or they had shared intimate images without consent. So we knew that that was our key demographic. So when that happens, you've got some obligation to chase the demographic that you're looking for. Um, so you're right, TikTok is forbidden on a Department of Justice device. I don't have access to TikTok myself, but I can see for the numbers, young people are using it. So we, we were very targeted, so we, we definitely used TikTok. We also used Tinder, which was not without controversy when we put that proposal forward in the first place. Uh, But again, we were looking to see where are young people and where are young people going to be in situations where a message around a a subject like this will land with. So we were really deliberate about targeting those. And as I say, the the results have been from the first wave were incredible. The level of awareness that sharing intimate images was a crime was about 40% of that cohort. before we did the campaign, it was 87% after we did the campaign. So we really managed to land that message in people's heads that doing this is a crime.
1: So when people are watching or listening to this episode, um, they're gonna be really curious about the team behind your content machine. Um, if somebody wants to build you know, a content machine like you have and you know, they'll see your work online, it's easy to see and access, you know, how do they go about it, you know, is there many people or what kind of skill do they have?
2: So uh, I have a big team overall, um, we have about 110 people working in the transparency function. Now they do everything from uh, secretarial support to the ministers, to dealing with FOI requests that come in, to writing parliamentary questions, to producing this amazing content. So in no way are they all working on the big campaigns. For the bigger campaigns where we have an amazing creative team in-house but we also use creative agency to to support us with the with the very big campaigns um but typically we probably have on any one of the campaigns it's sort of five or six of our team really working on them so it's, it's it's not it's not huge numbers to put together a campaign you need you need some money Um, but even then you don't always need huge money. So we, we did a a campaign last year that we did entirely in house. So my, my creative and digital team has four people on it. It's a really small team. And they worked with a couple of the content creators, that focus on immigration matters in particular, and for that campaign, we, we had, the government had decided to do a regularization scheme for people not from Ireland, but who are living here and living here undocumented for, for many years. And so we had to do something really different. So we were targeting people who by definition aren't from Ireland, who we knew an awful lot of them would not have English as their first language. And an awful lot of them would be using social media platforms that aren't the ones that we use day to day. So we had to do a huge amount of research within the team to look at. So we looked at sort of the top 10 nationalities of non-Irish people living here had a look at the languages that they use, the social media platforms that they use, and with a pretty small, bought budget, really intensively targeted those cohorts. And it's it's hard to know how much of it was down to us, but the the outcome is amazing. So thousands of people who were living here and living in the shadows, got their situations regularized. And, And for many of them, like they've been able to travel home for perhaps the first time in many years it, it's absolutely transformed their lives and i like to think that at least in some part that was down to us being able to reach them in the places that they were
1: neil thank you for sharing so many um insights but also those campaigns and how you know we hear about them at political level at mainstream media level you know through pr but how they're then um, orchestrated and crafted Together internally in the team um, will be of huge interest to the people who, who listen to and to who watch the show. But continued success. I really appreciate your time. I know a lot of people will get uh, a lot of value. Where do you want to signpost people if you want them to find out more about the department's work or any of your campaigns?
2: Well, I'm gonna signpost you to the one that, that that's going live at about the same time as this episode will. So if people want to go to gov.ie forward slash consent that's where they're going to see our brand new campaign around consent and I hope that people really do start having conversations with their partners in their communities and across society on that topic.
1: Fantastic and we all have personal responsibility uh, for that and let's also share that campaign. So, uh, Neil Ward, uh, thank you very much for joining me on the Public Sector Marketing Show. Thanks Sean. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Public Sector Marketing Show. Before I go, I want to ask you a question. Is it time for you to level up your digital communications and social media skills and competencies? Well, we have a brand new training calendar and I've delivered three signature accredited courses live to dozens of government and public sector pros in recent weeks but they're now available on demand, so you can access them in your own time. And they are our brand new professional diploma in digital communications. The favorite course that we have, the professional diploma in social media, and then the boot camp, which is a short, sharp, and fast strategic approach to social media and better understanding what tactics are working on each of the social networks right now. So go ahead and jump over to our website, publicsectormarketingpros forward slash training hyphen calendar. And another reminder that if you haven't got a hand, And a final reminder, if you haven't got your hands on a copy of my book, Public Sector Marketing Pro, make sure that you do, or if like me, you prefer to listen to books, you can get a copy of it on Audible. I will see you on the next show.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, please share with a Public Sector Pro you know. Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review on your favorite podcast platform or on YouTube. For more free resources, details of our upcoming training courses and consulting options, log on to publicsectormarketingpros.com.